Chapter Eleven of the Sturdy Oak. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sturdy Oak, Chapter Eleven, by Marjorie Benton Cook. George Remington walked towards headquarters with more assurance than he felt. He resented Doolittle's command that he appear at once. He was beginning to realize the pressure which these campaign managers were bringing to bear upon him. He was not sure yet how far he could go in out-and-out -out defiance of them and their dictates. He knew that he had absolutely no ambitions, no interests in common with these schemers, whose sole idea lay in party patronage, in manipulating every political opportunity, in short, in reaping where they had sown. The question now confronting him was this. Was he prepared to sell his political birthright for the mess of pottage they offered him? He stood a second at the door of the office, peering through the reeking, smoke-filled atmosphere, to get a bird's-eye view of the situation before he entered. Mr. Doolittle sat at the edge of the table, monologuing to Wes Norton and Pat Noonan. Mr. Norton was the president of the Whitewater Commercial Club, composed of the leading merchants of the town, and Mr. Noonan was the apostle of the liquor interests. Remington felt his back stiffen as he stepped among them. "'Good evening, gentlemen,' he said briskly. "'Hiya, George,' drawled Doolittle. "'There was something you wanted to discuss with me?' "'I don't know as there's anything to discuss.' There's a few things Wes and Pat and me'd like to say to you. Ain't no two ways of thinking about the prosperity of Whitewater, you know, George. The merchants in this town is satisfied with the way things is boomin'. The factory workers is gettin' theirs with high wages and overtime. The stockholders is makin' no kick on the dividends, as you know, George, being one of them yourself. Now, we don't want nothin' to disturb all this. If the factories is crackin' the law a bit, why, it ain't the first time such things is got by the inspector. The factory manager'd like some assurance from you that you're going to keep your hands off before they line up the factory hands to vote for you. Doolittle paused here. George nodded. When are you coming out with a plain statement of your intentions, George? inquired Mr. Norton in a conciliatory tone. The voters in this town will get a clear statement of my stand on all the issues of this campaign in plenty of time, gentlemen. That's all right for the voter, but you can't stall us with that kind of talk, began Noonan. Wait a minute, Pat, Consul Doolittle. George means all right. He's new to this game, but he means to stand for the interests of his party, don't you, George? I should scarcely be the candidate of that party if I did not. I ain't interested in no oratory. Are you? Are you not? going to keep your look here noonan i'm the candidate for this office you're not i intend to do as my conscience dictates i will not be hampered at every turn nor told what to say and what to think i must get to these things in my own way don't you forget that you're our candidate that you're to express the opinion of the people who will elect you and not any damn theories of your own i think i get your meaning noonan George spoke with a smile which for some reason disconcerted Noonan. He sensed with considerable irritation 
the social and class breach between himself and remington and while he did not understand it he resented it he called him slick to wes and doolittle and loudly bewailed their choice of him as candidate then there's that p.i business pat don't forget that urged wes i ain't forgetting it there's too much nosing round kentwood district by the women george too much talkin you better call that off right now property owners down there is satisfied and they got their rights you know i suppose you know what the conditions down there are sure we know george and we want to clean it up down there just as much as you do said the pacific doolittle but what we're saying is this ain't the time to do it later maybe when the conditions is just right somebody's got the women stirred up for fair and it's up to you to call em off george said mr norton how can i call them off tartly you can put the brakes on mrs remington and that there sheridan girl can't you miss sheridan is no longer in my employ and as for mrs remington if she's not one in spirit with me i cannot force her to be every human being has a right to some change since you last expressed yourself george seems like i recall you saying i'll settle that remarked doolittle coldly we'll leave my wife's name out of the discussion please said george with tardy but noble loyalty well them two i mentioned can stir up some trouble but they ain't got the brains of their gang by a long shot it's this e elliot we got to deal with she's as smart if not smarter than any man in this town she's smarter than you george or me either he added consolingly i've seen her about but i've never talked to her what sort of woman is she quiet sensible kind you keep thinking how reasonable that woman is till you wake up and find out she's got you hooked on one of the horns of your own damn foolishness slick as they make em and straight as a string that's e elliot what do you want me to do about it impatiently are you aiming to answer them voiceless questions pat inquired silence planning to tear down kentwood and enforce them factory laws demanded west norton still no answer i'm just calling your attention to the fact that this election is getting nearer every day what am i to do with her i can't afford to show we're afraid of her huh i can't bribe her to stop i'd like to see the fellow that would try to bribe e elliot doolittle chuckled wouldn't be enough of him left to put in a teacup then we've got to ignore her we can ignore her all right george but the women and some of the voters ain't ignorin her it's my idea she's got a last card up her sleeve to play the day before we go to the polls that'll fix us have you any plan in your mind doolittle scratched his head wrestling with thought we was thinking that if she could be called away suddenly and detained till after the election he began meaningly you mean something like that i won't have it not if i lose the election i won't stoop to kidnapping a woman like a highwayman what do you take me for doolittle georgie politics ain't no kid glove business it ain't what you want you're just a small part of this affair you're our candidate and we got to win this here election you get me he shot out his underjaw and there was no sign of his usual good humor well but you don't have to know anything about this we'll handle it you'll be protected to the limit don't you worry sneered noonan 
but you can't get away with this old-fashioned stuff nowadays doolittle protested remington can't we you just leave it to your uncle benjamin you don't know nothing about this see i know it's a dirty low underhanded george remarked mr doolittle slowly hoisting his big body on to its short legs in politics we don't call a spade a spade we call it a agricultural implement with this sage remark mr doolittle took his departure followed by the other prominent citizens george sat where they left him head in his hands for several moments then he sprang up and rushed to the door to call them back he would not stand it he would not win at that price he had conceded everything they had demanded of him up to this point but here he drew the line ever since that one independent fling of his about suffrage they had treated him like a naughty child what did they think he was a rubber doll he would telephone doolittle that he would rather give up his candidacy here he paused suppose he did withdraw nobody would understand the town would think the women had frightened him off he couldn't come out now and denounce the machine methods of his party every eye in whitewater was focused on him his friends were working for him the district attorneyship was the next step in his career genevieve expected him to win no he must go through with it but after he got into office then he would show them he would take orders from no one he sat down again and moodily surveyed the future in the days which followed another mental struggle was taking place in the remington family poor genevieve was like a woman struck by lightning she felt that her whole structure of life had crashed about her ears in one blinding flash she had seen and condemned george because he considered political expediency she realized that she must think for herself now and not rely on him for the family celebration she had conceived her whole duty in life to consist in being george's wife but now by a series of accidents she had become aware of the great social responsibilities the larger human issues which men and women must meet together betty and e elliot had pointed out to her that she knew nothing of the conditions in her own town they assured her that it was as much her duty to know about such things as to know the condition of her own backyard then came the awful revelations of kentwood human beings huddled like rats children swarming dirty and hungry she could not bear to remember the scenes she had witnessed in kentwood she recalled the shock of alice brewster smith's indifference to all that misery the widow's one instinct had seemed to be to fight e elliot and the health officer for their interference stranger still the tenants did not want to be moved out driven on the whole situation was confused but in at least one thing stood out clearly genevieve realized during the sleepless night after her visit to kentwood that she hated cousin alice the following sunday when she put on her coat she found a souvenir of that visit in her pocket a soiled reminder of poverty and toil she remembered picking it up and noting that it was the factory pass of one maria slavonsky she had intended to leave it with someone in the district but evidently in the excitement of her enforced exit she had thrust it into her pocket this maria worked in the factories she was one of that grimy army genevieve had seen 
coming out of the factory gate, and she went home to that pen which Cousin Alice provided. Maria was a girl of Genevieve's own age, perhaps, while she, Genevieve, had this comfortable home and George. She had been blind, selfish, but she would make up for it, she would. She would make a study of the needs of such people. She would go among them like St. Agatha, scattering alms and wisdom. George might have his work. She had found hers. She would begin with the factory girls. She would waken them to what had so lately dawned on her. How could she manage it? The rules of admission in the munitions factories were very strict. Then again her eyes fell upon the soiled card, and a great idea was born in her brain. Dressed as a factory girl, she would use Maria's card to get her into the circle of those newfound sisters. She would see how and where they worked. She would report it all to the forum and to George. She could be of use to George at last. She rummaged in the attic for an hour, getting her costume ready. She decided on an old black suit and a shawl which had belonged to her mother. She carried these garments to her bedroom and hid them there. Then, with Machiavellian finesse, she laid her plans. She would slip out of bed at half-past eleven o'clock, taking care not to waken George, and she would dress and leave the house by the side door. By walking fast, she could reach by midnight the factory to which she had admission. It annoyed her considerably to have George announce at luncheon that he had a political dinner on for the evening and probably would not be home before midnight. He grumbled a little over the dinner. The campaign, he said, really ended yesterday, but Doolittle thought it was wise to have a last round-up of the businessmen and give them a final speech. Genevieve acquiesced with a sympathetic murmur, but she was disappointed. Merely to walk out of the house at eleven o'clock lessened the excitement. However, she decided upon leaving George a note explaining that she had gone to spend the night with Betty Sheridan. She looked forward to the long afternoon with impatience. Cousin Emmeline was taking her nap. Mrs. Brewster Smith left immediately after lunch to make a call on one of her few women friends. Genevieve tried to get Betty on the telephone, but she was not at home. It was with a thrill of pleasure that she saw E. Eliot coming up the walk to the door. She hurried downstairs, just as the maid explained that Mrs. Brewster Smith was not at home. Oh, won't you come in and see me for a moment, Miss Eliot? Genevieve begged. I do so want to talk to you. E. Eliot hesitated. The truth is, I'm fearfully busy today, even though it's Sunday. I wanted to get five minutes with Mrs. Brewster Smith about those cottages, she began. Genevieve laid a detaining hand on her arm and led her into the living room. She's hopeless. I can hardly bear to have her in my house after the way she acted about those fearful places. Well, all that district is the limit, of course. She isn't the only landlord. But she didn't see those people. She's human, I guess. Didn't want to see disturbing things. I would have torn down those cottages with my own hands, burst forth Genevieve. E. Eliot stared. No one likes her income cut down, you know, she palliated. Income? What is that to human decencies? cried the newly awakened apostle. Your husband doesn't entirely agree with you in some of these matters, I suppose. Oh, yes, he does in his heart. But there's something about politics 
won't let you come right out and say what you think not after you've come right out once and said the wrong things laughed miss elliot i'm afraid you'll have to use your indirect influence on him mrs remington genevieve threw her cards on the table miss elliot i am just beginning to see how much there is for women to do in the world i want to do something big the sort of thing you and betty sheridan are doing to rouse women what can i do e elliot scrutinized the ardent young face with amiable amusement you can't very well help us just now without hurting your husband's chances and embarrassing him in the bargain you see we're trying to embarrass him we want him to kick over the traces and tell what he's going to do as district attorney of this town but can't i do something that won't interfere with george couldn't i investigate the factories or organize the working girls my child have you ever organized anything exclaimed e elliot no well don't begin on the noble working girl she doesn't organize easily wait until the election is over then you can come in on our schemes and we'll teach you how to do things but don't butt in now i beg of you misguided well-meaning enthusiasts like you can do more harm to our cause than all the anti-suffragists in this world with her genial disarming smile e elliot rose and departed she chuckled all the way back to her rooms over the idea of remington's bride wanting to take the field with the enemies of her wedded lord women women god bless us but we're funny mused e elliot genevieve liked her caller immensely and she thought over her advice but she determined to let it make no difference in her plans she saw her work cut out for her she would not flinch she would do her bit in the great cause of women no of humanity the flame of her purpose burned steadily and high at a quarter past eleven that night a slight black-clad figure with a shawl over its head softly closed the side door of the remington house and hurried down the street never before had genevieve been alone on the streets after dark she had not foreseen how frightened she would be at the long dark stretches nor how much more frightened when any one passed her two men spoke to her she sped on turning now this way now that without regard to direction her eyes over her shoulder in terror lest she be followed so it was that she plunged around the corner and into the very arms of e elliot who was sauntering home from a political meeting where she had been a much advertised speaker she was in the habit of prowling about by herself tonight she was as usual unattended unless one observed two burly working men who walked slowly in her wake oh i beg your pardon came a gently modulated voice from behind the shawl e elliot stared no harm done here did i hurt you she replied she thought she heard an involuntary oh from beneath the shawl no thanks could you tell me how to get to the whitewater arms and munitions factory i'm all turned around certainly two blocks that way to the state road and half a mile north on that shall i walk to the road with you oh no thank you the girl answered and hurried on e elliot stood and watched her where had she heard that voice she knew a good many girls who worked at the factories but none of them spoke like that all at once a memory came to her couldn't i investigate something or organize the working girls 
Mrs. George Remington. The little fool ejaculated the other woman, and turned promptly to follow the flying figure. The two burly gentlemen in the rear also turned and followed, but E. Elliot was too busy planning how to manage Mrs. Remington to notice them. She had to walk rapidly to keep her quarry in sight. As she came within some thirty yards of the gate, she saw Genevieve challenge the gatekeeper, present her card, and slip inside, the gate clanging too behind her. E. Elliot broke into a jog-trot, rounding the corner of the wall, pulled herself up quickly, using the stones of the wall as footholds. She hung from the top, and let herself drop softly inside, standing perfectly still in the shadow. At the same moment the two burly gentlemen ran round the corner and saw nothing. "'I told you to run,' began one of them fiercely. "'Aw, oh, shut up. If she went over there, she'll come out here. We'll wait.' The midnight gong and the noise of the women shuffling out into the courtyard drowned that conversation for E. Elliot. She stood and watched the gatekeeper saunter indoors, not waiting for the man who relieved him on duty. She watched Genevieve go forward and meet the factory hands. The newcomer shyly spoke to the first group. The eavesdropper could not hear what she said, but the crowd gathered about the speaker, shuffling, chaffing, finally listening. Somebody captured the gatekeeper's stool, and Genevieve stood on it. What I want to tell you is how beautiful it is for women to stand together and work together to make the world better, she began. Say, what is your job? demanded a girl, suspicious of the soft voice and modulated speech. Well, I, I only keep house now, but I intend to begin to do a great deal for the community, for all of you. She keeps house, poor little overworked thing. But the point is not what you do, but the spirit you do it in. What is this, a revival meeting? So I want to tell you what the women of this town mean to do. Here, here, listen at the suffragette. First we mean to clean up the Kentwood district. You all know how awful those cottages are. Sure, we live in them. We intend to force the landlords to tear them down and improve all that district. Much obliged, lady. And where do we go? demanded one of her listeners. You must have better living conditions. But where? Rents in this town has boomed since the war began. Ain't that got to you yet? There ain't no place left for the poor. Then we must find places and make them healthy and beautiful. For the love of Mike, she's talking about heaven, ain't she? She's talking through her hat, cried another. Then we mean to make the factories obey the laws. They have no right to make you girls work here at night. Who's making us? We're going to force the factories to obey the letter of the law on our statute books. A thin, flushed girl stepped out of the crowd and faced her. Say, who is we? Why, all of us, the women of Whitewater. How are we going to repay the women of Whitewater for tearing down our homes and taking away our jobs? Ain't there something we can do to show our gratitude? The new speaker asked earnestly. Go to it. Let her have it, Mamie Flynn, cried the crowd. Oh, but you mustn't look at it that way. We must all make some sacrifices. Oh, cut that slush. What do you know about sacrifices? I'm on to you. You're one of them uptown reformers. What do you know about sacrifices? You got a sure place to sleep, ain't you? You got a full belly and a husband to give you spending money, ain't you? Don't you come down here getting our jobs away and then forgetting all about us? There was a buzz of agreement and an undertone of anger which to an experienced speaker would have been ominous. But Genevieve blundered on. 
we only want to help you we don't want your help nor your advice you keep your hands off our business do you preach it uptown that's where they need you ask the landlords of kentwood and the stockholders and the munitions factories to make some sacrifices and see where that gets you but don't you come down here a spy on us you dirty the last words were happily lost as the crowd of girls closed in on genevieve with cries of spy scab throw her out they had nearly torn her clothes off before e elliot was among them she sprang up on a chair and shouted girls here hold on a minute there was a hush someone called out it's miss e elliot listen that a minute don't waste your time getting mad at this girl she's a friend of mine and you may not believe me but she means all right what's she pussyfootin in here for don't you know the story of the man from pittsburgh who died and went on cried e elliot some kindly spirit showed him round the place and the newcomer said well i don't think heaven's got anything on pittsburgh this isn't heaven said the spirit there was a second's pause and then the laugh came now this girl has just waked up to the fact that white water isn't heaven and she thought you'd like to hear the news i'll take the poor lamb home put cracked ice on her head and let her sleep it off they laughed again go to it said the erstwhile spokeswoman for the working girls e elliot called them a cheery good night and the factory girls drifted away in little groups leaving genevieve bedraggled and hysterical clinging to her rescuer they would have killed me if you hadn't come she gasped e elliot thought quickly stand here in the shadow of the fence till i come back she said it'll be all right i've got to run into the office and send a telephone message i have a pal there who'll let me do it you you won't be long it was clear that the nerve of mrs remington was quite gone i won't be gone five minutes e elliot was as good as her word when she returned she seized the stool on which her companion had made her maiden speech ran to the wall placed it at the spot where she had made her entrance and urged genevieve to climb up and drop over as she obeyed e elliot mounted beside her they dropped off almost at the same moment into arms upheld to catch them genevieve screamed and was promptly choked what'll we do with this extra one asked a hoarse voice bring her there's no time to waste now if you yell again you'll both be strangled the second speaker added as he led the way toward the road where the dimmed lights of a motor-car shone he was carrying e elliot as if she were a doll behind him his assistant stumbled along bearing less easily but no less firmly the wife of the candidate for district attorney end of chapter eleven